Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here today on this Shabbat. And those online, thanks for joining and be part of our family. LivingMessiah.com is the website. There you'll find a donate button, and I do. All of us want to thank you for all those who do who give and support this uh, this. Bible study. Thank you. I think it's awesome. Um, with that being said, let me open in prayer, and then we can get uh, start getting into the, the study itself. Father, Yahweh, great and mighty you are. Father, there is none like you. You are unique. Father, your words are trustworthy. Father, your redemption through your Son. Father, you've kept your words. You, and you're just so faithful to your words, and they're very important. And Father, we know we need help in understanding them and the, your spirit to help us, empower us, so we can, we can follow after those words and become those words and become the image that you desire us all to be, that we know that we fail so many times being that. Father, thank you again. Be with us today as we look into to this study, and we want to thank you. We want to thank you for your love and your mercy. Amen. All right. Well, as you guys know, um, just raise your hand. The mic will find its way to you. We just ask that your comments be oh, brief. Try to make them brief just because uh, it will give. There may be others that would like to speak as well, too. And as you know, we're under somewhat time constraints in that sense but let's stay on the text of what we're talking about as well because we all the whole point is we are all learning together and that's that includes me as well i'm not here you know in some got to tell you this and that i have it all together i don't and that's why I'm just sharing this bible study with you guys and acts as we go along and we just try to do it in an orderly fashion. So let's, let's have at it. So um, where we're at, Barnaba and, uh, and Shaul were Apostle Paul. They've been sent out on this missionary trip, as you guys know, here in Acts 13. Um, that their journey was endorsed by the, the assembly that was in Antioch. Okay? And they arrived in a, a, town, on, uh, a town called uh, uh, Papos. Okay, and this is on the island of uh, Cyprus. So that gives you an idea or geographically where we're at, okay? So here is where we've been looking into the subject of prophet and false prophet because they encountered a certain magician, false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Yeshua. Okay, Bar Yeshua being a magician and false prophet gave us an opportunity, or let's say for me, an opportunity to take a look at prophets. And ultimately, Balaam was the one we left off last week. And what hopefully 
you saw there is similarities between Balaam, okay, um, and Balaam, the prophet Balaam, and this prophet that is on the island of Cyprus that Paul and Barnabas run into. There's a lot of common, common, common there, similarness that's there between the two. Another thing that was common in the ancient world, and we see this in the story of Balaam, of course, and that's the relationship of a prophet with rulers or kings, okay? And you even see that that's here in Acts as well, because uh, Bar Yeshua was an associate to the governor of this town, um, Papos, okay, when we first began which he was a ruler, and he looked at this, uh, this prophet for insight. Whether he's on the payroll or whatever, I don't know. There, we, there's so many awesome, <laughs> well, what's, we, we call them, so many rabbit trails, really, there is, when you start really digging in and looking to uh, the aspects of the story and bringing in the history and the culture at the time. Um, so I would like to finish with the Balaam story from last week. We, we kind of finished, but there was still something else I wanted to share that I thought was very important with the Balaam story. So three times, three locations, Balaam blessed the children of Israel. Balaam blessed the children of Israel when he was asked to curse them. Okay, so. Uh, the king wanted a cursing. This king, he, he wanted to curse them for the sake of the Moabites. Okay. So it didn't go as well as the king wanted. We saw that, and you can read about that um, as well. He didn't get what he asked for. And there's even question that he even, even if Balaam even got paid as well. He may, Balaam may not have got paid. The more I was looking at the text, I think it's interesting that he may not have got, uh, got paid. But anyhow, so, but before parting with the king, Balaam throws, I called, a freebie. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like Balaam was paid, but because, and why I say that, remember, there was two aspects where he said, oh, the king would give you this and this from his household or whatever. And so you can actually take it as like, you know, if you do a good, a good job here, you're going to get a, a good blessing, you know. So most likely he didn't get paid. So, uh, so it's interesting to look at it in that aspect as well. So the, um, but the curse really ends up coming on the king and his people. That's what actually happens because this extra, like I was calling it, this extra freebie that he brings to the king, okay, it's like a parting gift, so to speak. You know, here's a free prophecy for you, king, okay? Um, and you'll find that in, uh, what is it, uh, Numbers 24, it, if, uh, verse 14 says this, And now see, I am going to my own people. This is Balaam. Come and let me advise you, king, what this people is going to do to your people in the latter days. 
Latter days is always a key phrase. But anyhow, so he's going to give him this other prophecy. This prophecy is very well-known prophecy. It's, I would suggest, and I see it as, it's a prophecy of the Messiah, the one to come. And it's coming from Balaam. The, so let me read some of that. And he took up this proverb and said, The saying of Balaam, son of Beor, and the saying of the man whose eyes are open, the saying of him who hears the words of El and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes open wide. I see him, but not now. I observe him, but not near. A star shall come out of Yaakov, Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and shall destroy all the sons of Set. And Edom shall be a possession and Seir shall be a possession, uh, possession, enemies. And Israel is doing mightily, overcoming, conquering. And out of Jacob, one shall rule and destroy the remnant of our Ur, and it goes on and on. So, my focus is this idea, this star should come out of Jacob. Now, some insight that I've learned, and I find it to be factual, is in the ancient times, stars represented what? Elohim, gods. Okay. And um, even I know Mark had mentioned before, if you've heard some of that in the ancient text, there would be a star next to a person's name if a god's name was in that person's name. So there is that association with a star with a god. Okay? So with that little bit, just slightly, I see him not now, I observe him, but not near. A star, a mighty one shall come out of Jacob. An Elohim, a God, shall come out of Jacob. So you see right here, there's this idea of a, a mighty one, a God, that's going to come out of Jacob. Not you know, not that there is one that's coming and helping. No, out of Jacob himself. Out, meaning, to come out of Jacob is you have to be a man. Right? You have to be born of a woman. So this star, then again, you can see how much weight is here with this idea. Who is this star then? Who would you think this star would be? This mighty one that's going to come out. Depending, I don't care about your theology, how you view Messiah, Yahshua. But I think he is that Elohim. He is that mighty one that comes out of Jacob. The promised one from the very, very beginning, right outside the garden. That would be my suggestion to you. The message being spread in Acts is that same message. So there is a connection here with Acts, obviously, because they're going around speaking about this 
star that came out of Jacob to the rest of their brothers and sisters in the assemblies, in the synagogues. So it doesn't directly say that. I know that. But yet, if you do... If you do consider that this star is Yahshua the Messiah, then they're going out spreading that news along with the Torah and everything else about that one who has come. <laughs> so, so I do see there is, obviously there's a big connection in that as- aspect of it. So I thought that, now this brings up something else, and I may have heard some people talking about this, and you might be aware of this, okay? And I'm not trying to prove it one way or the other. But a star being a representation of a god, you know, the Mogan David, the star of David. Please consider maybe, I know there's so much stuff about it, oh, it's pagan, Maybe it's just a symbol somewhere along the line that represents the Elohim that has come out of Jacob. And, yeah, yeah, oh, it's pagan. Okay, yeah, it, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and argue. I have my own views on this. But the whole thing is, it's an image that might have been used in the ancients. The ancients understood it that way. So how else to speak about something that's going to happen with the knowledge of those at the time, how they viewed their world. Okay? Yes. Oh, it might have been this star picture or whatever can be used in pagan practices or what have you. Yeah, I agree. But just because the pagans get together on the seventh day, do we, we, we can't hold Shabbat because the pagans are doing it on Shabbat. Okay, all I'm saying is think about those things in in that aspect. So I don't want to speak too much uh, to go into the whole thing about this star, but understand, you know, the representation of what it could be speaking about, especially when it comes to Messiah. And uh, we'll take one comment, and then I want to get get on further. Yes. Uh, Ralphie, before we close with that, why is there a Star of David in the Vatican if they do not adhere to the Torah of Yahuwah? To me, when you start talking about images and symbols, it, tracking them down, where they come from, they, uh, there's so many things that have been used from various types of people, all the way back to the Nazi uh, swastika. You can find that maybe reversed in some of the Navajo, not the Navajo, I don't want to say, but Native American artwork and stuff like that. So I'm not trying to make this about the Star of David and we're getting in some kind of ridiculous debate about stuff that, you know, you're going to have to search out yourself. But all I'm saying is don't start just finger-pointing things so quickly just because Google tells you something. Do, do research on things before you spread stuff that you, maybe you don't know where it all comes from. That's my big point. Just a quick thought on that. In the Vatican, there's the Hebrew text as well. That doesn't mean that it's pagan. No, exactly. So it's reasoning out these things with some some wisdom when you're looking at uh, research. I know I have to do that. I've said things before, and I'm like, oh, 
man, I'm putting my foot in my mouth because I've learned some more information and that was not correct. I try to do the best I can here, you know. So, but anyhow, so before we continue, I want to share this because this is, this is part of the, I, I think it's interesting. Just let me put it that way. What I want to show you is this area where Balaam, man, I'm put, <laughs> excuse me, was doing the cursing, okay? This gives you a geographical idea. Those three dots shows you the various places that most likely this is the, the peaks, maybe the high places that Balaam was taken to to curse Israel. Israel's down in this plain here, and where they're at directly across is Jericho. What I find is interesting in, about this, it, one, I think, uh, let me get to the next slide. In some of my research, I see it's like you, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? One gentleman, one archaeologist puts, um, oh, there's the three stars to highlight them. One archaeologist says that this, in this circular area was where Sodom and Gomorrah was that got destroyed. Now, I have read some stuff, and there's some things that doesn't quite match up, uh, and whatever. So all I'm doing, I'm just proposing to you, this was his idea, and he has evidence to prove so, whether it is or not. But if it, just say, if it is. Isn't it interesting? That's exactly where Israel would be as they were trying to be, cur trying to be cursed by a king. Right there in the ashes of Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment being passed. Judgment in some sense. So either way that you, it, whether it is or not, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And it just goes to prove the other thing. Uh, uh, the thing is, there's a lot of research that they're finding out, uh, digging, and with the archaeology and stuff like that. So make sure you read the opposing people who say why it, this location is or is not and weighing it out because uh, a lot of the traditional places are not the places that uh, these events have happened and they've really proved a lot. And the other thing is, <laughs> take in mind, uh, a lot of the archaeologists, they don't believe in God. So that, in some sense, truth is truth, but... It does help if you have the creator guiding you along, in my opinion. And, you know. So anyhow, let's continue on. We have more to discuss, obviously, in the scriptures about what Elohim says about prophets and says about them. But this star prophecy may hint on a way for the king on how to curse the people, possibly. And what I'm saying is, okay, you come out to curse of people, it's just not happening. And then you get the final, <laughs> the prophet says to you, this people, what they're going to do, your people. You know the old saying, well, if you can't beat them, join them somehow. Right? Maybe, maybe that is what has happened or being conveyed. That's a thought to think about, something to consider. Oh, there's so many things to consider here. So if you can't beat them, then join them maybe. If Israel is going to be blessed by uh, the, the most 
powerful Elohim, which was proven here because everywhere Balaam went, I would suggest they were high places. It was for his God. And whatever he tried to do, even Balaam could not get around that. So again, Yahuwah proved that he's above all Elohim, all powers, principalities, and everything else. Meaning, what I say goes. I'm not, I'm blessed, Israel. They cannot be cursed. But that brings us some, some other place for us to consider. And it is always wise to be part of the winning team, isn't it? Okay. So maybe this is why Balaam has such a bad reputation in the scriptures. After all, it seems that Balaam held fast to everything that he was told. You can't fault Balaam that he lied. He didn't do that. But, like I said, he gets this idea of being a false prophet or whatever. Who knows about his very character of who he is? Regardless, he did repeat and held to everything that was given to him. So you can't say his words were false because they wasn't. And especially if that star is Yahshua himself proclaimed a long time ago. Surely you don't want to say he spoke out of line and that wasn't the case. So, so it turns out Balaam wasn't able to curse the children of Israel because Yahuwah blessed them. There seems to be more to Balaam that is not recorded here, so to speak. So you have to see other places that he is mentioned and maybe put together a story or try speculate, let's put it. I think that's a good word, to speculate. But the scriptures will help us in that speculation to some extent. There seem, like I said, there seem. But later, it seems like he may have shared something either to this king or to another king on how the children of Israel could curse themselves. Think about that. Elohim kept on saying, I bless them. No. You can't curse them. No one else can curse them. But there's nothing saying that they can't curse themselves. Think about that. Now, this even gets bigger if you start thinking, and that's where maybe I'd like to share with you today. But let's go. Later on, Israel goes to war. Numbers 31. It says this. But Moses wroth with the officials of the army, with the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, who had come from the campaign, this war. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? What are you doing? Look, they are the ones who caused the children of Israel through the word of Balaam to trespass against Yahuwah. Now this can't be from the prophecy up, up top, those three places. Because he didn't say anything that was a cursing upon them, right? So this must be something later on that Balaam gave advice. Maybe he really wanted the money that he didn't get. Well, let me tell you, I think you could get around it. Do this instead. I don't know. Speculation on my part. 
So it was against this uh, trespass against Yahuwah is Balaam must have said something in the matter of pure, and there was a plague among the congregation, among the assembly. Then later on, it speaks about, whoops, um, let, let me go back one. Don't want to go too far ahead here. Then later on in Numbers, go ahead, Joe, and then we'll continue. Okay, uh, verse 16, I was just thinking that uh, the women, uh, God has warned like uh, Solomon and others not to uh, associate themselves with uh, the pagan women. And so this what they were doing, the matter, they were intermarrying uh, the pagan women that God says no, you know. And I was thinking of the verse, can two uh, walk together except they be agreed? So even though that has happened thousands and thousands of years ago, that is still true today. It's uh, uh, not only women, but men who cross, Unequally others, yoked. Who, who cross others to fall and get away from God. Yes. So, yes, it had to deal with the women in some ways. It also had to do with another deity in some way. The combination, I think, when you start looking at, there's more to what actually was going on. And yes, you know, the intermarrying might have been a possibility of that coming in. But right after this story of Balaam, do you guys remember what happened? Remember Pincus come in and boom, because they there was some some things going on that should not gone on, and prostitutes or uh, from other deities, women from other deities. I think that's the one of the key things we have to look at. And even Solomon was warned about that. Don't start marrying, because back then when you're marrying, and, and I guess it's no different in aspects today. When you're married, you're not only marrying that woman, you're marrying that household, the God that they follow, the traditions of that God, the, the theology of that God, and all those things are tightly connected. Now, today, I know, you know, you see that all the time. You get unequally yoked in so many different types of ways. But, so, so if you get about that, it was about... The, right after this story here, it was about sexual relations with the Moabite women and, and Israel yoking itself to Baal Peor. So it goes on about Pincus, the grandchild, grandson of Aaron. So anyhow, Joshua speaks of this war and what happened. And Joshua 13.22, And the sons of Israel killed uh, with the sword, Balaam, son of Peor, the diviner, okay, among those who were, uh, were killed in this campaign. So, it wasn't some curse then from a prophet or another god that caused, uh, that caused this curse among the people, okay? It was, to me, the people themselves. The people cause themselves to be cursed. And then I got to ask you: Is that the same for today? So I would say, just like in the garden, it was enticement 
to fall away from God's instructions that brings about the curse. Exactly. So, you see what I'm saying? And I would even go further. If Elohim is with you, who can be against you? But you've got to be with him. <laughs> so, I would say, yes, it's the same for us today. But this goes even a little bit deeper on how do we understand that. I would just say, blessing, curse, choose life. Right? That's what the Scripture says. So this is something to consider. If Elohim's words are a blessing, if obeyed, then can anyone curse you other than yourself? Can anyone curse you other than yourself? Give ear, O heavens, and let my speech, let me speak and hear, earth, the words of my mouth. Let my instructions fall as rain, my speech drop, or, or drop down as dew as fine rain on the tender plants and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name, the character, and all the substance of Yahuwah. Ascribe greatness to our Elohim. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are righteousness, right ruling. And, and El, a mighty one of truth and without unrighteousness righteousness and straight is he but here's the kicker a twisted and crooked generation has corrupted itself it didn't say anybody else it said who the generation the people corrupted themselves they're blemished they are not my children Do you not, uh, do you do this to Yahuwah, O foolish? Do you do this to the Father, O foolish and unwise people, Christian, Messianic, whoever, unwise, uh, an unwise people? Is he not your Father who, who brought, uh, bought you, who created you and established you? A corrupted generation has corrupted itself. Foolish. Today, I set before you a blessing and a curse. Choose life. That is a lot that's in Deuteronomy. This is a huge thing here to understand. A prophet gets the instructions from the deity, right? That's the basics of a prophet. And then relates them to the person or the persons, right? So that's how it works. And yes, this happened at Mount Sinai. What I was reading, even the other ancient religions, they would have their prophets. Their prophets, a lot of the times, would stand in front of their temple. They even would have witnesses. Okay? But it was only the prophet that relayed the messages. Sound familiar? 
A prophet goes up a mountain, comes down the mountain in front of what? Millions, let's say um, at least a million witnesses to what was going on. That is very unique. That is very unique, especially in the ancient world. You didn't have anything like that ever happen. And I would even suggest it's so unique. What other religion can claim such an event? I'm not aware of any. Yeah, other religions, they might have a prophet or two. But do they got a million, two, six million witnesses at a mountain about what the, pro- what the Elohim has brought to the prophet and has communicated? I like our, our brother John. He always says, where's your Mount Sinai experience? Because that's what we're relying it on. We're not just, we're relying on all these witnesses of what happened there at the mountain from a prophet. So you can see it's quite different than just somebody else getting information from a prophet and such that. No, <laughs> we have a foundation of many, many, many witnesses to those very words. That's very important, and that is, to me, much different. So this story of Balaam also speaks to the old saying, the devil made me do it, right? You've heard that. The enemy may be at work with his words and his ways to curse his people, but in some ways, let's consider what was shown here in the event of Balaam. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. We have the words that are a blessing straight from Elohim's mouth to Moses, fingered on documents, on the commandments, handed down. That is, that's awesome. And then back to this, so you can see it's yourself that can curse. Let me bring in Messiah's words. You know this parable in Matthew 13.3. And he spoke to them much in parables, saying, See, the sower went out to sow. And the servants of the master, later on it says, The house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed, good words, good ways to go in your field? From where then does it this darnel come from? There it is. There's the answer. And he said to them, a man, an enemy, the devil did this. So all he did was sow words. That's all. He didn't curse you. He can't curse you if you're under the most high's words and the blessing. That would be something that I think is very important for us to understand, or at least Where I'm at in my walk, this is heavy thought that I've been thinking about a lot. Do you wish then that we go and gather them up? And as you know, it goes on. And he he goes, but he said, no, at least while they gather them up, the darnel, you also gather uproot and so on. Uh, You're quite, I know all of you are quite aware of that prophecy or of that parable. 
So if Elohim has given words of blessing, how how can we be cursed in any way? Again, it goes back to that idea. We're only going to be cursed if we don't follow. And we allow other words and other ways to come in. Our Elohim showed through this story, Mount Sinai, our Elohim, our God, our God, all of our God, showed that nothing can come upon his people that he does not allow, too. And that's clearly in the story of Balaam, if you take the time to really see what was going on there. It shows that there are words and ways from Elohim and words and ways from other sources other than our God, right? Prophets, wise men who sow seeds ultimately of themselves in one way or another. So that brings us back to this whole idea. You know, prophet, magician, astrologer, sorcerers, soothsayers, dream interpreter, wise men, physicians, chemists, teachers as I come to the modern day. They all have roots in these offices of the past. And there comes the other, what Scripture tells us. Is there anything new under the sun? No, there's nothing new. Nothing new at all. So you can see the relationship. I even, I'll draw it again. These wise men and teachers and philosophers and all this and then we have professors today. And what are they teaching? Everyone's, you know. And then, again, I'll mention, we just experience, you know, trust the science, right? Trust the experts because you don't know any better. But we do. We have a God. We might not know it all, but we have someone who we trust in. And that should be where we focus along with the behavior that should come along with that as well. So it comes down to our Elohim and his words, the unique way he has spoken to what he does expect from his children or what makes you <laughs> a child of his. Let's flip it that way. Oh, I'm a child of God. But do you do things worthy to be called his child? So, how is this, so that then comes to this idea. How is the Torah, how his Torah has been taken and been done away with in so many different types of ways, then in some sense those same people speak for Elohim himself. You've got a problem there. Okay, now I'm not saying go on the attack, but sim there's a s simplicity, the simple issue of that. Be on guard, because there's plenty of people who do follow the God of Abraham, not maybe to the point where how we see the Torah, how to apply it today, that it's not done away with. But they have a lot of wisdom because they are genuinely following the Most High too, just like all of us did when we were in the dark too. So 
we got to be careful with that on how we approach that for sure. So, but that ultimately, those who are speaking for the Most High, you're a prophet in some way, okay? And in some ways, if it's not coming from, the, from that aspect, then you very well could be cursing the people by not saying, by saying that the law has been done away with when that's where all the blessings at you're left with curses then and i know we're all on paths of changing ourselves so then balaam and this story of balaam and balaam arose and left after he gave the king this last prophecy and it says this is i think it's kind of interesting it stands out it says that balak the king also went his way <laughs> He just, yes, I know he just got up and went, but yeah, it seems like he just went his way. So there is no change in some aspect with the king and what just happened. So, again, for me, I hope you see these, it's foundational stuff here that I'm not, there's so much foundational stuff here that even myself, I look, it's like, I, that's why I just want to say this is a Bible study. I have no big authority except to point out, guys, this is foundational. I don't have it all worked out, but this is still foundational. That's where I'm at, okay? So I, I hope you see that. And ultimately, this is foundational to the New Testament and our acts what we're studying obviously is in the new testament it's part of that whole foundation so let's continue yeah we still got some time exodus 7 again with this idea of the prophet so yahuwah said to moses see i have made you an elohim to pharaoh and aaron your brother is your prophet you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go out of his land. Just a simple thing. Here you see the prophet and priest relationship. Because Aaron ultimately, what position is he put in? Because you've got to remember, Egypt had their magicians and their wise men. We talked about that. I know that was a, a week or two back. But here, this gets to the nitty-gritty here. Because remember, Mount Sinai, Moses, this is where our Elohim is explaining prophet to us. Verse how the other nations around them operate. So that's a big thing that's going on here. And maybe we don't see that necessarily or understand it in that context. You know, I know I didn't until I'm like, wow, yeah. Yeah, that, there's something that's much different when you start reading it. Okay, so there is this big thing about Yahuwah, <laughs> how he is unique in so many ways. So anyhow, here it is. You know the story, Aaron and Miriam, hmm, oh, I'm a prophet too, I'm holy too, blah, 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 whatever happened went on, as you guys know. And he said, hear now my words. 
If your prophet is of Yahuwah, I make myself known to him in vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is trustworthy in all my house. I speak with him mouth to mouth and plainly, and not in riddles, not in parables. And he sees the form of Yahuwah. So why are you not afraid? To, uh, why are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So you know the situation and someone that was going on here. So this goes back to this idea that uh, I started thinking about, and maybe I never made it a bigger connections. If this prophet, I will make myself known to him, other than Moses. I will make known myself to the prophets in vision or I speak to him in a dream. So is this a rule for all the prophets that we read about, like with Isaiah and all those others? I, it's consideration that maybe that would haunt. Because not all the prophets says they saw something or whatever. They were called by the word of Yahuwah, but I don't know. Maybe there's more to the word of Yahuwah came to me. But I thought it was not in riddles, not in parables, I would suggest, too. Messiah said that he spoke to the Father in the same way Moses did. Or at least he inferred that really clear. I only hear and I only hear what my Father says. He didn't say, I had a dream and a vision from my Father. No, there's the relationship with Moses and ultimately the one like Moses is to come. You know? Yes, Joe. Looking at uh, those verses there, and when he said, now hear my words, if your prophet is of God, mm -hmm. I make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him a dream. Now, he didn't do that with Moses. He said, not so with my servant uh, Moses. He is trustworthy in all my house. I speak with him mouth to mouth and plainly and not in riddles. And he sees the form of God. So why are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? But the words, if your if you're prophet sees himself in vision, and, uh, I'm not going to do that with Moses. I'm going to... Speak to exactly. him in a different, different way. Yes. And that what makes Moses, in some sense, is one of the greatest prophets of all. Why he holds so much weight, or at least we should hold a lot of weight about that. He, Moses, is a clear example of what to look for in a prophet today. What he did, what he taught. It says, he saw the likeness of Elohim. Or could we maybe even add this? Or, he's, or could you say that how it was to be in the likeness of Elohim is what Moses saw too. Not only saw, but how to be in that image. Now we will get into what Elohim says about the prophets. We will look at some of these descriptions of wise men, soothsayers, prophets, we, uh, you know, 
uh, that have been recorded for us. And I, I can't take any more questions, but I want to end with this, and then we can get back to Acts next week, okay? Deuteronomy 13 is quite clear. Some of the stipulations about a prophet. When there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he shall give you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder shall come true, of which he has spoken to you, saying, Oh, let us go after other Elohim, mighty ones, gods, which you have not known, because there's only one to know, and serve them. Do not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for Yahuwah, your Elohim, is what? He is trying you to know whether you love Yahuwah, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your being. Shema Israel. <laughs> right? Walk after Yahuwah, your Elohim, and fear him, and guard his commands, and obey his voice, and serve him, and cling to him. That way you'll know about the prophets. And the prophet or the dreamer of dreams is put to death because he has spoken apostasy against Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to make you the prophet then ultimately has made you stray from the way which Yahweh your Elohim commanded you to walk. Again, the importance of Moses and what he did and what he brought for the people. Thus you shall purge the evil from your midst. I believe it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to go into that. I think it's really clear what it's saying. When your brother, your son of your mother, the son of your daughter, or wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own being entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other mighty ones which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the mighty ones of the, or the fathers of the mighty ones of the people which are around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end to the earth to the other end. Of the, I guess he's pretty much summing it up. There's only him. Follow him and what he says. I think it's really clear, right? Not to agree with him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pardon him, nor spare him, or conceal him, but you shall certainly kill him. Your hand is first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of the people. So, let's just say Elohim is serious about his words, would you say? He sets the guidelines, it's around his word. We see that in the text. So let me, sorry, Joe, I have to close in prayer. Father Yahuwah, great and mighty you are, there is none like you. Father, we thank you for your words, and as you know, we all are in need of your guidance and your help. We, Father, we do genuinely want to understand and grow. Father, we first come and say, forgive us of our backslidings and our failures and our sins before you. But Father, without you and without your help, we have no help. For there is none like you. There is no one that can compare to you. 
And thank you for taking the time to reveal yourself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and your faithfulness to Israel, your called out people, and your faithfulness through your son Yahshua to bring us the good news of redemption that we find in what he has done for us. We thank you again. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you are here. And those online, thanks for joining. Shalom.